Welcome to the Love Life Church podcast, and thank you for checking us out. We love God, love people, and love life, and we hope this message encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. I, I believe this is a very significant time in love life and just that the direction we're going and the vision that God has placed in my heart. Um, there are some beautiful, awesome goals that I'll be talking about in the next um, month or so uh, concerning what, what we would like to see um, in this body and, and our, our desire to meet these specific things that I believe are from God to us because we've got a word that's, that can impact the world. I believe with all my heart. I believe that for it to do that, though, it has to impact your heart. And the only way that's going to happen is if you can get past the, the preconceived ideas or, or life in general, just the, just the way life is lived in most people's lives, and, and not to give up hope for change, not to give up hope for the ability to have something better. The tendency is, as we get into life, we get into relationships, marriages, work, and, and there's the struggle. There, there's the warfare. And it's always going to be that way. It's not, life isn't simple. Life is going to be, it, it's going to have challenges. It's going to have pressures. And we're on this earth, and that's what's going to happen. But then God gives us answers. He gives us, listen, it's the fake religious message is that God just gets rid of it all. Everything's, oh, everything's better. That's a lie. It, that's not how faith works. It, 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 remember, faith is that position of, of expectation of when everything around you is going, you're crazy to believe that way. Well, if everything's supposed to be good, then why, why have faith? You see what I'm saying? I mean, it, it, we've got to look at this correctly so that you can have, uh, listen, you come in and we worship God. The, the problem with the religious concept of worship is, is it's to try to bend you to the knee to show you how guilty and bad you are. That's not at all what it's for. It should be when you're singing a song like we just sang and you had a fight on the way to church, that worship to God and that praise to him should bring you to the place where you turn to your wife or husband and say, forgive me, I love you. That is the power of worship. That's the power of God working in our hearts. And I want to see it in operation in all of us because our assumption is, is it's to bring us to a place of guilt and condemnation. That is so unbible. It's to bring us to a place of looking at God and going, man, I don't deserve anything, but you, you give it to me anyway. And I lift my hands. I'm able to praise you. I'm able to worship you. I'm able to look at you and, and, and know that you love me. It ain't about, you know, I, I deal with my feelings. I deal with my attitudes. But when it comes to him, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if I remember correctly in this word, he says, I loved you so much I gave Jesus for you. Well, I'm, I'm valuable. And if I don't start seeing myself that way, then I'm going to treat me as I'm unvaluable. And I'll start cutting corners. I won't expect the best. You know, it's just the way life is. I'll just be happy. And that's not the way 
the word shows me, and that's not the way the word has taught me. And so last week I started with a statistic that just, it shook me. It shook me because our whole focus should be to be able to reach this world, to impact the unchurched, not to try to manipulate a church person, an unchurched person, to be able to give them hope, to give them freedom, to give them the, the ministry that God's given to each one of us, and that is reconciliation. Let's get you back into the place where you need to be. And they did this survey and they asked all these people that had no relationship with God, no relationship with Jesus, no church relationship, and they asked, us, they asked them, define the church, the church in the US, with two words. And the majority of responses to those two words were judgmentalism and irrelevance. And when I heard that, I went, oh my gosh. First and foremost, I looked at my life and I looked at our church. Because I don't, I, there's no way in the world I want to be known for that. So I started first, looked at me and go, am I judgmental? And I thought, yeah, quite a bit. No, I didn't. Um, I, I looked at my life and I, I wanted to make sure, am I, am, I, am I living this correctly? I'm not perfect, am I living correctly in this area toward people? And I thought, okay, irrelevance. And what I believing, what I, what I talk to people of, is it irrelevant? Does it have no purpose, no meaning for today? And I thought, no. And then I went to the place of, as a pastor, is this what we promote? Is this what we minister? Is this what our children are being taught? And I honestly came to the conclusion that they can't judge us on those two. They can judge us on something else, all right? They like Mexican food too much or whatever. You know what I'm saying? In other words, but they can't judge us on judgmentalism or irrelevance. They can't. And I felt a release and a relief, but then I thought, but that's the people's view out there. So we have to have a message that portrays the heart of love life. In our house, at a neighborhood barbecue, at the store, in our workplace. We have to have this language that says, I know you, got, you, you feel there's no hope and, and there's this division and there's nothing but ugly, but I want you to know that there's hope for you. God has a plan, he loves you. And to be able to get people to look at this thing as the way Jesus presented it to be. There is no judgmentalism in Jesus, which means there's no judgmentalism in God the Father. And I taught that, or we talked about that in life study yesterday. And it pretty much, we came to the conclusion in life study, and that's what I do second Saturday of every month, and we just talk about things. And we talked about how do you see God? First and foremost, how do you see God? And if you can be honest with yourself, truthful with yourself, how is that picture of God? And if it isn't, mercy, grace, love, sold out for you. If it isn't tied to all that picture, which by the way is, if I said, how do you see Jesus? You would say that. You wouldn't have any other picture. You wouldn't have Jesus as judgmental. You wouldn't have Jesus as mean. You wouldn't have Jesus as, 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 as I'm, I'm gonna get you and you're gonna, you, but God on the other hand, 
that's sometimes what pops up. I know I've been there. But guess what? I went through the process with that group, and I said, everything in the Bible reveals that Jesus, who is God, revealed God, the Father. And that is the whole revelation of the Father. It's not the revelation of Jesus, and that's what we believe. We believe Jesus is the picture of Jesus, and that's a lie. Because out of the mouth of Jesus, he says, that's not true. I am the picture of the Father. But you don't hear that in church. You don't hear that on Christian television. Why? Because this is what religion does. It continually robs and steals into the place of, I gotta make you, I gotta force you to do something, otherwise you probably won't. They teach a watered-down message of grace not true grace. True grace will always, the right way to learn grace will always, it'll build a fire in you to keep moving forward. And that's what I want. I want that for my kids. As a parent, I want them to keep moving forward. I want them not to quit. I, need, I want them to continue to grow and to learn and excel. But you can't get that through works and legalism. It can only through grace. It's the only way. So I looked at this and go, I don't want to be judgmental. I don't want to be in a position of anyone at Love Life operating with judgmental mindsets. Listen, I know the world we live in. We first and foremost want to judge someone. Stupid driver, you know? I mean, don't we? I mean, first thing, judge, judge, judge. I get it. I understand that. But I want us to recognize that we don't have to be that way. We don't have to have the first statement, judgment statement in an ugly way, a condemning statement. I mean, you can judge things, and well, I judge this, the car sucks, or uh, you know what I'm saying? But I'm talking about a condemning statement toward people. And if you look at Matthew chapter seven, look at verse one, it says this. Do not judge others. This is Jesus talking. He says, don't judge, don't condemn others, and you will not ju be judged or condemned. Well, you know that, listen, that statement just looked at in, in the manner of the way we will do, we're gonna go, well, wait a minute. No, I don't judge someone, they judge me. I mean, how come that's not working? That's not what he's saying. He's saying, do not judge others and you will not be judged is not necessarily that someone's not gonna judge you, but that you won't have the ability for someone to judge you. Not saying you're perfect, I'm saying your concept, your perception, your life being lived has the inability to be manipulated by someone else's judgment call over you. You guys get that? All right, now follow, because this is a manipulation in society. People are always, listen, this is the way relationships are. People manipulate through judgment, manipulate through condemnation, to do what? To get their way what they want. We, without strength in knowledge, without strength in God's word, become weakened and manipulated by that. But when you're standing in a non-judgmental life, you now have the strength to be able to overcome a judgment upon you. Wouldn't you love that? Wouldn't you love to be a go, well, that's, you can judge me all you want. I know what I believe. And you're in strong, your strength, right? For you will be treated as you treat others. I mean, we always say that. We say that to our kids, we say it to our husbands, our wives, whatever. 
The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you'll be judged. I want to be judged on fruit, truth, righteousness. So I'm going to use that standard. I'm going to work toward judging the good in you, first and foremost. Not just take the assumption of the negative. I had a pastor friend of mine in San Diego. He knew this pastor that was about a couple miles, fellowshiped with him, a couple miles from his church. On the way to his church were a bar and a strip club, and then his church was probably like about half a mile from there. The pastor would walk to church sometimes on Sundays. This Sunday, he walked through the, he was walking down the same road he does, and some guy called him over in between the strip club and the bar. So he goes and he's a pastor. He's thinking he's a minister. The guy robs him and stabs him, okay? He then is stabbed. It's, it's, it's Sunday morning. It's not like people around everything. He is stumbling on the side of the road because he's stabbed. His associate pastor, also his worship leader, was driving by that same road and saw the pastor and didn't stop because he thought he was drunk. So he went on to church, got his group together, and yeah, I knew that pastor, and I mean, promoting himself, and his pastor was stabbed. Another leader drives by and doesn't stop either. Two people drove by him. The pastor died. Moral of that story. Do you see how disgusting and evil, number one, that religion is, Number two, how legalism is. But I, I heard that and I thought, that's disgusting. I, I, can't even, I can't even believe that. How can, you be, how can you be driving to church and make a call on, oh, he's, he, I, I knew he had a drinking problem, and then promote it inside church and the pastor's dying. That is disgusting. But see, if we're living a life where our first, thing, our first thoughts are, are negative and evil, how are we gonna reach out to the world? How are we gonna reach out to that ugly person out there? I was ugly once. I was real ugly once. And I had a guy that wouldn't give up on me. I don't know why he wouldn't. It's so aggravating, but the process is here I am. And I asked him, he goes, it's, it, listen, I hated you many times. That's what he said to me. I didn't get it. I honestly didn't get it. I thought, how could, when I was so mean to you, I mean, I was mean to him because, not because I'm a mean person. I wanted to find out what he had was real. So I thought this has got to be fake. The Baptist guy that preached to me, he was fake because I could get him in a second. I could get him to cuss at me. But this guy, man, he just like, oh, had this thing and, and, and I, the last point of me stopping everything is he was on the phone with a, a, making a sale and I came up to him and gave him a kidney shot. Messing around, but I really hit him good. And he went, oh, like that. Yeah, and he's not some weak little guy. And he just looked at me and went, and smiled and went. And I felt so bad after that I didn't feel bad the other times, but I just so felt bad about it. 
And I think it just was that place where I was looking at him and going, I gotta have what he has. I gotta have that in my life. And that I think it was like a couple days after that, he invites me to his house for lunch. I didn't have nothing else to do. I was, I mean, nothing else to say, nothing else to, I just went, okay. Made me a bologna sandwich. In a few minutes, I was on his floor crying. Receiving God into my life, changing. I mean, everything was like, it just flooded out of me. And I believe that there are people out there that need our consistent, unfailing faith that says, you know what? There's a lot of messes in church. There's messes in people. You know, a TV preacher is gonna fall. An author of Christian books is gonna deny the faith. I mean, but my faith isn't in them. My faith isn't in you. My faith is in my Lord. I'm not gonna waver. I won't fall. I'm not gonna quit because, you know, someone doesn't, you know, do what I want or I, I don't get my way. My faith and my walk is in the Lord. So I can't be moved. Listen, how many hundreds of years have there been some guy or some woman that the church idolized that fell? How many times? And then you watch countless tens of thousands of people run and leave the church. Care if they do. I don't want it to happen, but I don't care. I'm not serving them. I'm not, my faith isn't about them. My faith is in the Lord Jesus. Now stand, the church went through the same thing in the Bible. They went through the, the issues of, of, of the tax of religion. They went the issues of attacks of prejudice early on in the church, major prejudice. They went through the attacks of, of, of freakyism. They, I mean, they went through so many different things, but the church kept going. Church kept going. That doesn't mean that many left or many ran. I mean, the time of Jesus, Jesus said, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, and the Bible says that many disciples left him. And he said, are you guys really gonna leave too? Are you guys gonna leave too? And they go, well, we're gonna go. I mean, who, you have the truth. Where would we go? That's my conclusion. I don't care if everybody goes. I'm staying. If I have to, I'll preach to myself. But I won't have to. I love life because you guys love this stuff. I mean, this is, you love the word of God. You love Jesus, amen? And he says, why worry, this is amazing, why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own eye? The speck in the Greek language is something that it's almost hard to see. Is that crazy? I got, I got this because I did this in youth ministry like about, I don't know, a long time ago. Let's just put it that way. A two by four is too small for the Greek word log, but I thought I'd get it. I should have got a smaller two by four because it's hard. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to judge Tim. Tim, you need to get that speck in right, boy. Okay? I'm serious. I, I'm tired of seeing that speck. Now, you need to get it because you can't walk this Christian church. You can't watch the faith. You can't do this right. So you got to get rid of that speck, boy. Okay? Get rid of that speck. Now, what do you believe in? You got a speck in your head? You got a speck in your eye? 
How dare you speak that way? How dare you worship that way? How dare you wear what you're wearing? How dare you look the way you look? And, and, and this is what judges do. Judges are like this. They're just looking around going, oh, you, 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 you're doing this and you're doing that and you can't do this and you can't do that. And oh my gosh, how could Jesus love you? And that's what the Bible shows us. The picture of the log in the, that log in the eye, Jesus himself is saying, listen, you don't understand. Your super spiritual righteousness of judgment is ridiculous. Because as you're doing this, you have a massive judgment log in your head. He's not saying or, or implying that you're so evil and filled with ugly yourself. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that judgment is something very disgusting and it's something that you shouldn't have in your life. Let's move on. It says, how can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see the past, the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then, you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend. To do what? To deal with the speck in your friend's eye. He didn't say to judge it. Did he say to judge it? No. Why? Because the truth is, we all got specks. Every one of us. We got specks in our eyes. It, there's, there's nothing scripturally that makes a statement that that's disgusting or evil. It's a statement of fact. We all have specs. We just have to work out those specs, amen? We have to get the specs out of our eyes, that's all. But it can't be done by you with a massive log swinging around my head, amen? In Luke chapter six, verse 37, it says, don't judge others and you will not be judged. Don't condemn others and it will not come back against you. Forgive others, and you will be forgiven. Give, and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together, making room, running over, pouring your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you give back. That is a reaping, sowing, spiritual, natural law, period. No matter what you do in life, it's just not tied to finances. It's, just, it's tied to life in general. God is saying when you are giving, when you're giving love, when you're giving hope, when, it's going to return multiplied back to you. Multiplied back. What are you lacking? I'm lacking and I just don't have any joy. Then so, give joy. Find someone that needs joy as much as maybe worse than you. You can't go to the children's hospital. Go somewhere, and there you're gonna find people that need joy. And when you start sowing joy, I, I'm telling you, God does not lie. God is not mocked. Whatever a man or woman sows, that they will also reap. And I, I, I believe with all my heart, and I've lived it. So if you're looking for peace, if you're looking for joy, happiness, finances, whatever the case may be, it is a reaping, sowing principle that God said, in even in Genesis, it will not end. As long as earth remains, sowing and reaping will continue. It will. 
So I, I, it, I, I'll never not follow through with these principles because it's going to be a continuation of them. It's the truth, amen? Just like one plus one equals two, it's, it's not going to stop. Last week, we talked about the Samaritan woman and how the first action and attitude of her toward Jesus was, you know, and we're talking Jesus is in their midst. So he ain't throwing this, this error, era of, of religion or judgmentalism. He's, he's got to have this love, you know, glow around him. This, 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 this view of acceptance. That's how, I just, that's how I see Jesus. That's how I see my father. And he gets up with this woman, and all of a sudden, she starts throwing down, you know, prejudice. She starts throwing down all these different things of, of what people deal with, division, reason. And she's throwing this down, and then ultimately, what does Jesus do? He gets to the heart of the matter, her heart. He's not going through the process of, let me argue these points. I want to get to the heart of the matter. And what he does is he reaches toward her hurt, her pain. And he starts revealing this is the mess. He doesn't judge her. He doesn't condemn her. I mean, there are literally, there are denominations out there. I don't know if the symptoms of God still are this way, but they always were this way as far as I know. And that is, if you've been divorced, you cannot be a pastor. Now, if they change that because of the times, but when I went to Bible college, that's what they believed, 100%. That's part of their doctrine. So a divorced person cannot be in the ministry, which is pretty amazing. Now, again, it could have changed, you know, because that's usually what... Doctrines do when people start coming against it, you know, they're like, well, whoops, we'll be able to fix this because over half our church is divorced. We're not gonna have anybody serving God. All right. But anyway, the point is, is I don't I don't know if it changed or not, but I'm just saying that was their doctrine. Um, so many different groups out there, you know, had these specific dogmatic, these unchangeable beliefs that had to be changed. Why? Because anything that isn't truth has to be changed concerning the times they're in. Let me ask you something. In the 1500s, was one plus one equals two? Is it the same today? How come? We're in a different age. We got iPhones. I mean, why, come on. This, this, this is 2000s. I mean, that's old school. But it, it doesn't change, does it? No, because when you're talking about truth, truth is relevant and it doesn't change. It, it won't change. God's word, truth, not God's word, religion, God's word, truth, it, you don't have to change it. It's gonna last forever. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's, it's awesome. So we looked at Jesus dealing with her. He touches her in the revelation of her messes and what's her response? You are. You must be the Messiah. And then what does she do? She goes out into her city. She goes into her city and does what? Turns on the TV and sits back and kicks it. No. 
because Jesus went straight to the issue of the heart, no judgmentalism, no attack against her. You fool woman, you can't even make a right decision. We're talking five husbands? Man, who's picking for you? You're, and this is messed up. And, and, and the first one, I mean, you're, you, you got divorced, and that's sinful, and that's ugly. And, and he, just, he didn't do any of that at all. I had this one uh, pastor tried to argue a point with me one day, and he came up to me. This is at church, when I had that church over there in that strip mall. He, he comes up there to serve, and he goes, God only sees one marriage. That's what he said to me, one marriage. Once you're married, that's the only marriage you'll ever see. If you get divorced, anything happens after that one marriage, he will not recognize any other marriages. I went, really? I said, do you believe Jesus is God? He goes, of course I do. Do you believe Jesus lies? No. So you're saying that God will only recognize one. And if you get married after that, there will be no two. And if you get married after that, there's no you know, three. He will not say you've been married three times. He'll only say you've been married one time. And he goes, yes, that's correct. They always get that real spiritual talk. And I go, what about Jesus and Samaritan woman? He went, but what about her? I go, tell me the story. He goes, well, Jesus went to a well of Samaria. The woman wanted water. I go, and? And what? I said, Jesus said to her, you've been married five times. You've had five husbands. I said, right then and there, if God did not recognize two, three, four, or five, he would never have said it. He would have just said, you were married once before, you got divorced, and you had a bunch of other men in your life. But he didn't do that. He counted five marriages. And that guy went, well, I just don't agree with that. That's what religion does all the time. They do that with grace. They do it with faith. They do it all the time. I don't agree with that. And that's the danger of, of religion. You might not understand something, but don't get to the place of, I don't agree with that. Unless you have scriptural reason to be that way. Do you understand what I'm saying? We can't be that way. And so we move on and we recognize that why is this so important for us to recognize not to judge, not to be judgmental. Listen, what is this whole thing about? I'm gonna ask you, what is this whole thing about, this faith in us being here? What are we supposed to realize in, in, in my purpose and, and what is God's word and will for me as a believer, as a follower of Jesus? And that can be answered with so many different I mean, that, that question can have so many different answers and just in, you know, your place of what you're doing and how you're doing and what you're living and your vision and your destiny and, and you can put so many different things in there, but there's only really one. Growing in grace. That's the foundation. Nothing else matters because when you're growing in grace, everything else Everything, people matter, 
God's work matters, ministry matters, but without grace, listen, how do you get saved? By grace, you are saved through faith. Not of works, lest any man should boast. What, now think about it, listen to what I just said. By grace are you what? Saved. Soteria, sozo. What does that mean? See, this is the problem. Salvation saved. I can tell you right now, majority of Christians, probably not a lot of you because you, you've heard teaching, but majority of Christians, majority of believers are gonna do this. Well, that's salvation, I'm going to heaven. That is a portion, a part of that word. That's it, a portion and a part. But that's not the full meaning of the word saved or salvation. It's healed, delivered, set free, made whole, prospered. So now, by grace, you have been healed. Of works, but through faith. Faith in what? Faith in grace. How do people not receive healing? I don't deserve healing. I'm a sinner. I'm no good. Wait a minute. So the cross doesn't work for you because that's where you get healing. Well, I don't know I'm set free. I can't be set free because I lie. I do this and I do, oh, okay. So grace doesn't work on that. So the cross doesn't work on that because according to the cross, you've been set free. So see, what happens is, is we lose the understanding of salvation because we tie it to one religious concept, heaven. You might as well, with that mindset, throw little fluffy fat angels with, with wings floating around with their little arrows, bing, bing. And you might as well just look at the pearly gates and St. Peter there and make this so religious because that's the concept you have. The word salvation means made whole, made delivered, set free, healed. Everything that's in the covenant of God going to the cross in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have been set free. We've been healed. We've been made whole. We've been prosperous. This is all God's word to us. Made through what? Grace. Grace. I don't deserve to prosper. Grace. I don't deserve to be healed. Grace. I don't deserve to be set free. Grace. I don't, de listen, I don't deserve to be made whole. These people would come to Jesus. They don't deserve nothing. What did he do? He made them whole. He made them whole. He healed them. He healed them. They don't deserve that. No, they don't. But grace says they do. Oh my gosh. 2 Peter 3.15. According to the wisdom given to Paul, this is Peter saying this. According to the wisdom given Paul, he has written to you, also in his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand. Peter's saying that about Paul. He's going, man, some of his teachings are woo, woo. That's okay. That teaches us that this walk isn't an overnight thing. We'll learn, we'll grow. Watch us, keep going. Some things are hard to understand, watch this. Which untaught, Unstable people twist to their own destruction. This is what religious people do. They will twist the scripture because they don't know grace. Watch, keep going. And they do also the rest of scriptures. Twist, manipulate, twist. Well, I know God loves you and God's one to prosper you, but if you do this and you keep doing this and you keep... That is the anti-grace message. Listen, nowhere do I say that's a good thing to do bad. 
Grace doesn't say that. But you cannot say that deletes grace because that is a lie from hell. Where sin abound, grace does much more abound. It doesn't eliminate grace. It doesn't weaken grace. Grace is the strongest position you can be in as a believer. It is a stance position. Histemi is the Greek language, which literally means someone standing with confidence and authority and unmovable. That's the word stance in the word connected with grace. He says, they, to their own destruction, manipulate scriptures. He goes, I'm warning you ahead of time. Dear friends, be on the guard so that you will not be carried away by their heirs of these wicked religious people and you lose your own secure footing. I'm not done yet. We sing that manipulation of legalism and works will make you insecure. Watch, and he says this, rather you must grow in grace of the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You must what? Grow in grace in the understanding and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way you become strong. That's the only way you become standing because we start paying attention to Jesus. We start paying attention to his walk, his life, his words, his ways. And by doing, listen, that's why he brought those disciples with him. Learn from me, follow me, do what I do. Paul then says, do what I do as I do what he does. It's a whole connection to the grace, the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace from the Father. That's when we have the ability to not lose footing. You lose footing because of legalism. You stand strong because of grace. Not because it makes you perfect. Not because it makes you, you know, where you don't make good choices anymore. It gives you the ability to come out of the bad choices. It gives you the ability to overcome a fight because of your silliness. That's what grace does. That's the ability to stand and worship God knowing that you don't deserve this but man, it doesn't matter because he loves you. You can lift your hands that, that are hanging down. Why are they hanging down? Because you got a messed up life. And that's what messed up lives do. Bad choices, bad decisions. And the Bible says, but when you learn grace and you, when you learn about Jesus, all of a sudden, what happens? You stand and it's a picture of confidence and authority. Why? Because you're all that? No, because grace is all that. Second Peter 1-2 says this. May God give you more and more grace as you grow in knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. You gotta keep what? Growing in grace. It's not a one-time thing. We grow in grace. If I wanna teach about healing, Grace has to be connected. I want to teach about the power of prayer. Grace has to be connected. If I want to teach about the power of worship, grace has, if, great, if grace leaves, there's no power. It all becomes an Old Testament lifestyle. Works, legalism. It's all by grace, people. It is. Verse three says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him. Everybody say, know him. Coming to what? Know him. You gotta come to what? Know him. This is knowledge, people. We have to grow in knowledge. Grow in knowledge of the word of God. This is a natural principle of life. How are you gonna be successful in a job if you don't know the job? Oh, it's because I work there. Well, so what? 
If you want to be successful, you got to what? You have to increase in knowledge. Well, does increasing knowledge just, is that all that matters? No. You got to increase in knowledge, put the knowledge to work. Increase in knowledge. The, the, the boss is going to go, hey, do that. Yeah, I know how to do that. Okay, do it. I just told you I know how. How long are you going to work there? Not too long, exactly. Why? Well, you're sitting in your little cubicle going, hey, you can't fire me. I know what I'm doing. Then do it. Ask me what needs to be done, and I'll tell you exactly what needs to be done. Okay? Do it. No, just ask me if I know. My knowledge is enough. I sound like a millennial, don't I? <laughs> but are you hearing what I'm saying? This is ridiculous. No one do. No one do. Gonna have success. So does it mean we know everything? No. Listen, if you're married, I'm giving you the greatest blessing right now in your marriage. Because now you can quit demanding this picture and start looking at your life. That was really good what I just said. You're demanding a picture in the other person, and that's not how this life is to be lived. I want you to have success. The only way you're gonna have success in a marriage and in, in, in relationships and anything in a body is by looking to yourself. Looking to yourself, judging correctly, not incorrectly, correctly. And that is no condemnation. Why? Because grace doesn't allow that. But there is a place where you go, I need to judge that I'm sleeping in too long. I need to judge that I shouldn't be eating as much as I need to judge that I need to be you know, I need to get my time alone with God's, you know, I, and, and you judge that way. But you don't judge in, oh, you're the loser. Oh, you overeat. Oh, you're so lazy. Oh, you're, listen, that's what the devil sounds like. You're talking like one of his kids. But it's not God. It's not the Holy Spirit. Most Christians learned wrong about the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you right now. I hear it all the time. I've heard it over the years, even in our church, even in leaders in our church. And they concept conviction and tie it to, well, the Holy Spirit. It's not true. Holy Spirit convicts of sin nature. That's it. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Oh, no, he convicts me when I do something wrong. Okay, let me ask you something. I know people that are so faithful and go to church more than probably most of you, and they wear dresses down their ankles, and they don't wear makeup, and they wear hair on their buns. Pentecostal holiness, you can name, there's, there's, there's many groups. And I can tell you right now, if one of them put makeup on their face, they'd be convicted of the makeup. If one wore their dress, they'd be convicted, and they would say, like all Christians would do, I've been convicted by the Holy Spirit. No, you convict based upon the knowledge you're at. I get, most people that talk conviction won't even talk conviction about the things they're doing wrong. So the Holy Spirit's convicting you, then, or, or you're convicting that person, or you're making statements to that person, but you can sit there and speak evil and gossip. How come, where's the Holy Spirit convicting? Isn't that one of the seven sins that God hates? Why wouldn't he be convicting that? Oh, yeah, I, I see a little wake-up call in a lot of people's heads. And that's what I want in love life, wake-up calls, amen? Why? 
can't play this religion thing, you always lose. You, you believe things that aren't biblical and you'll never win. You'll be running like a little rat, a little hamster on a wheel, not going anywhere. And that's not what this life's about. This life's about learning the truth. See, my Holy Spirit leads and guides me into truth. But he's not convicting me. Why? Because my spirit, my knowledge, my understanding convicts me of wrong. Why does the Bible say that you're only accountable to what you know? Why would it say that if the Holy Spirit's convicting? Yeah, it's sort of like I can see Will spinning going, God, this is so right, it sounds so right. Of course, it's Bible. But what you learned was wrong. I didn't know where you got it, but you learned it was wrong, and it's the human nature. We're always gonna tie ourselves to something that's irrelevant. Amen? Well, how do we get help? We, can, we need to learn this grace walk correctly. Grace walk doesn't give up. Grace walk continues. Grace walk pushes. Grace walk makes us move forward. That's what the grace walk does. It makes me wanna go, you know, I need to quit doing that. I need to stop acting this way. That's what grace does. Why? Because I fall more and more in love with God, more in love with Jesus, and the more I love him, the more I get connected with him, the more I wanna do things for him. Not because it's work or legalism, because he first loved me. It's just what I wanna do. He's so good. Don't you wanna please someone that's so good to you? Don't you wanna do things for them because they're just so good? Well, he's the ultimate good. He's a good, good guy, amen? Thanks again for listening. To hear more encouraging messages just like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. If you loved what you received, please consider rating it and sharing it with your friends and family. For more information about Love Life and getting connected with us, go to lovelife.church. We love you and are believing God's best for you.